few months ago, I recorded a episode with a lovely woman named Johanna, and we go into everything birth control and women's hormones, and I'm really sad that I didn't release this sooner, but this is going to be part of season five, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay, perfect. So my name is Johanna. Um, I am the owner of Wild Muse Wellness, and I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner that specializes in supporting women in navigating hormonal imbalances, uh, menstruation issues, so things like really heavy periods or missing periods, um, or any any problems with the menstrual cycle of any sorts, and then fertility challenges as well. Okay, so how did you get into like this? Because it's a very niche thing. It is, yes. So when I was 17, I started to experience a whole host of symptoms. It primarily started out, um, let's see, so in December when I was 17, I started birth control, kind of not really knowing anything about it. Um, I believe I started with the pill. It's kind of hard to remember, but I'm pretty sure I started with the pill at that time. Um, And then about a month later, I came down with mono and strep C at the same time. And I was also recovering from knee surgery. So my body was going through a lot. Um, And that was kind of like the top of the waterfall of everything kind of cascading and coming down after that. And so basically from that point on, I started developing tons of digestive issues, like bloating so bad I couldn't see my toes. I had seven different food intolerances. I had ovarian cysts, kidney stones, chronic migraines. Definitely dealt with more of the long haul mono, which lasted about 18 months when it comes to fatigue. Um, And then menstruation issues as well, but I didn't really know, like many women, I didn't really know that I was necessarily having issues because they were just like all of my girlfriends also had cramps and period problems that I just thought it was part of being a female. Um, So that's kind of like what started my journey was my own just like so many providers in my community it's like we kind of all get started because of our own experience um and I had worked with a whole host of different providers naturopaths um nutritionists regular western medicine doctors and no one was really ever able to get to the root of why my body was like literally screaming at symptoms um they all helped definitely put some pieces together for me but it was always kind of like you're under a lot of stress or take this medication for that cut this food out here like these 13 supplements one time i literally left an appointment with like 13 supplements wow um yeah and there was another time like i was in college and was told to cut out alcohol and sugar and like fried foods and like all of these things which you know, I definitely understand the reason behind that, but also just being realistic. Like I was a 20 year old girl in college, um, trying to navigate such a restrictive diet and also cutting out wheat and dairy and soy and, and so many other things. Um, it was just a really, really challenging time. Um, so slowly, you know, so that started when I was 17, I'm 27 now. So it's really been a journey for 10 years. Um, and I, and I, got the most help from a um, functional nutritionist. She was very helpful. Still didn't necessarily solve my issues, but she definitely helped me 
kind of understand that there's a root that's causing all of this and that root needs to be addressed. And so we definitely did some work. I did see some relief, but nowhere near like the relief that I've gotten now. Um, but so that basically led me to kind of constantly, luckily kind of being stubborn and being like, this doesn't feel like this is just how I should live the rest of my life. Like I would deal with terrible stomach aches every single evening. Um, like absolutely no libido, which would definitely like played an impact in my relationship and stuff like that. So anyways, it just kind of felt like a why me moment. And I also just like, thankfully would kind of fight for myself and, and was basically not going to accept that this is just how the rest of my life was going to be with all of these symptoms and all of these problems. And so luckily that led me to the path of um, finding the Nutritional Therapy Association. I enrolled in schooling there. Um, and then throughout, once I began that and started kind of learning their ways and really taking the foundational root cause approach to health and, and making sure our foundations are really solid first because we all have foundations that we need to work on before getting into the nitty gritty and symptom reduction. Like we have to make sure that our health basics are met and mine definitely were not. And no one had mentioned anything like that to me um, with all of the providers that I had worked with. So Luckily, during my time at the um, NTA, during schooling, I was able to reverse a lot of my symptoms just based on what I learned there. And then I had done my own self-study as well, had a lot of mentors along the way. And, and at this point now, I have reversed nearly all of my symptoms. My, my remaining symptoms are the occasional acne, um, and then I'm still working a little bit on my menstrual cycle as well. So this whole time, like during, you know, the 10 years or whatever, were you on the pill or like at what point did you like figure out, hey, this is probably I should probably get off of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, that's another like huge part of the story. Um, so just like many, many women, I had no idea what birth control was doing to my body. And so I, I believe I was on the pill for... I think a couple months. I honestly don't remember because it was so long ago. But I remember being on the pill for a little bit. And then I switched to the Nuva Ring. Okay. Um, and then I was on the Nuva Ring for probably probably two years or so. Um, and then at that point, I was struggling with like chronic, chronic yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis. Like mm. so bad that after having intercourse, I'd have a flare up. If I got in a hot tub, I'd have a flare up. If I used a non-organic tampon, I, I'd have a flare up. Um, so like literally constant flare up. <laughs> and wow. it, it caused a lot of pain. Um, so I think at that point is when I was working with a naturopath and she had said, well, let's get you off the hormonal birth control and switch you to the copper IUD because quote unquote, it's non-hormonal. Yeah. Now I know better because copper absolutely 100% influences hormones. Um, but at that point that was kind of my, my direction that I went because it was quote unquote non-hormonal. And so I was on that, um, I think a good five years or so. And then I had always been kind of like interested in fertility awareness method. Like many women, I was terrified. I didn't know that I couldn't get pregnant every day of the month. Um, <laughs> and so I was absolutely terrified. And then, so it was 2020. So only three years ago, I was found a new naturopath. She was definitely helpful with certain things. Um, 
but we had talked about me getting off through proper IUD because she definitely was like, you know, fertility awareness method is totally a thing. It's very doable. But then she kind of just dropped this little anecdotal story about her friend getting pregnant on her period, which absolutely scared the crap out of me because I was like, wait, I thought that was the only same time. (laughs) So then that scared the heck out of me. So then that actually made me postpone it. Um, because I was like, wait, I don't understand. It seems super woo-woo to track your period and, and to understand so like your cycle and stuff like that. And so, and not that I was against woo-woo, but I was just terrified. Um, and so then it actually, so about six months later, I actually had a complication with that copper IUD and, um, unfortunately had got pregnant with it and then miscarried. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was, it would have been the conception date would have been end of January and I missed my February period, um, which was very abnormal for me, but I was traveling that month. So I definitely was like, well, maybe it's just travel. Like that's happened one other time in my life. Maybe it was just stress. Um, and then March comes around and I missed my period again and was talking with my fiance at the time. And it's like, um, like, I don't know if I'm pregnant. I don't know what's going on. But then I started spotting, um, kind of like black blood. And then shortly after that, um, had what I thought were the worst menstrual cramps in my entire life. And then <laughs> took a pregnancy test that night. And I think that one, I, there was just the two, like the line one, and there was like a really faint second line. And so I just thought like maybe it was a weird fluke. So then the next morning after I'd gone through all of that pain and kind of what I had gone through, I took a digital one and it did say pregnant. So then I went to the ER and because we thought it might be an ectopic pregnancy because I had the copper IUD. So I went to the ER, went through a whole thing, found out that I miscarried. So it was like a very much so a whirlwind of a 48 hour period. Um, but anyways, that is what ultimately led me to and kind of forced me to finally get off birth control. And it's like such a huge silver lining because, you know, that only happened two and a half years ago and my complete approach and beliefs about the menstrual cycle and birth control and the female body and everything like that has completely done a 180. I'm, I'm very thankful for the experience, very challenging as it was, but, but very thankful as well. Yeah. I'm really sorry that you miscarried. That's, that's really hard. That's something um, a lot of women can relate to and yes, nobody yeah. wants to go through. Yeah. And it was a weird experience. Like I, not necessarily that I don't like using the word miscarried, but I didn't go for the emotional side as much because I didn't know I was pregnant. So I didn't have that emotional attachment to the baby. So to find out, like I literally found out that I was pregnant and then miscarried on the same day. Mm. So it was a very interesting experience. Yeah. Um, But it definitely really, really woke up my, you know, it woke me up to seeing how we can actually prevent miscarriage and how much of a role we have just in, you know, sperm quality and, and, fertility for both men and women and, and optimizing that to help prevent, um, or at least optimize your odds against early pregnancy loss as well. So one of the things that is happening nowadays is girls are being put on the pill, you know, sooner and earlier. Like, I think I knew, I read a story that like a 10 year old was put on the pill and I'm like, one, that's way too early. But like, I have a friend who is working right now in women's medicine and she said the doctors will disclose everything to the nurses but they don't tell their patients the side effects or like anything like the difference between different birth controls and like what they do so like I know you like had talked about 
a few different forms of birth control. So I'm wondering if you can Mm kind of go through those and like, what are the side effects? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not disclosed. I did have a naturopath that kind of explained some things to me, but I was also 17 at the time, so I didn't understand it all. And then I also think even if they do disclose it, it's not always fully accurate as well. Like a lot of the, and I can break it down in just a moment, but a lot of the, um, like NuvaRing or IUD, they'll, they'll talk about them as localized hormones as if it's not affecting the rest of the body. And that's just completely inaccurate. Um, and it's really unfortunate that it's, it's communicated that way when it is even communicated. But as far as the types of hormones there are types of birth control, there's a couple different. So there's the short acting forms, which is going to be more of, let me check my notes real quick, just make sure I cover them all. But that's going to be more of like the pill. Um, so there's the combo pill, which has both estrogen and progestin, which is a synthetic form of progesterone, um, the shot, the patch, and the vaginal ring. So those are all going to be more short-acting hormones. They basically work to prevent ovulation. And if we don't ovulate, we can't get pregnant. And so that is specifically what those guys are doing. Then we have our long-acting forms of birth control. So those are going to be more like the IUD, both the hormonal and then the copper, um, and then implants. So the arm implant also is going to be more of that long-acting. Those, one prevent ovulation specifically in the hormonal form um or they also make the implantation of the egg in the uterus unlikely that's kind of what more they're thinking that the copper iud is doing they are actually this kind of blows my mind but they're actually not 100 percent fully guaranteed sure why the copper iud works <laughs> because there's many different theories about it which is really interesting copper is known to be a spermicide um, so that's kind of one theory. Another one is just having something in the uterus makes it technically like a hostile environment. So that can help prevent pregnancy. Um, and then another one is that it actually causes inflammation as well, which then once again makes it a hostile environment. Um, and so I found that to be really interesting about the copper IUD is that we don't even know like a hundred percent, like this is why it prevents pregnancy. We just know that it does. And it's actually one of the most effective forms. But with that said, that doesn't mean it's 100% effective. And during my experience, that's what I had. During my experience, I was treated like a complete unicorn. Like, oh, this never, ever happens. But since this has happened to me, I have learned that it happens to a ton of women. So even though it's technically, like, I think it's like 99.6 effective, you have to remember that there's there's different cases that may not be reported. Like, my case wouldn't technically be reported as a failed copper IUD because it was technically displaced and so we don't know whether it was displaced which then allowed the pregnancy or whether the pregnancy then made it displaced so they cannot say that it failed because of the situation so just kind of keeping that in mind um and then something else about the copper IUD that I think is important to know is it technically has it like they'll say that you can leave it in for 10 years but there's been some studies done where it actually starts to oxidize after about i think it's like two to three years maybe like five years max so it's actually causing oxidation in your uterus which is something that i think is really important to know because that's like just because we can leave it in for 10 years doesn't necessarily mean that we should just like so many things with our health um and then the last method that is not the fertility awareness method would be barrier method. So that'd be things like condoms, diaphragm, sponge, cervical cap. That basically prevents the sperm from reaching the egg. And then we have my favorite, which is the fertility awareness method, which is 
using your own body and your own fertility biomarkers, which is basically like biological signs that you're in your fertile window, which is about five to seven days for women, um, to basically prevent pregnancy or to get pregnant when you're ready to do so. So can women come back after being on, I, I would say the pill, but like even, you know, IUDs or like any of these forms of birth control? I would say so, but I'd say it, it, it's not communicated how much effort it does take to come back, I would say, unfortunately. Um, and so, yes, you can, but I do think you, we have to be very intentional. I think doing, running some functional tests can be really, really helpful to see, like, like all of the hormonal forms deplete nutrients. And then the copper um, IUD doesn't necessarily deplete nutrients directly, but indirectly because it's copper and because that's a mineral that impacts other minerals. And so it can cause nutrient and mineral imbalances. And so it's really important to spend some time to be very intentional when it comes to replenishing nutrients, repairing your, your digestive system, because it's studies have been found that a lot of the hormonal forms and I even say that the copper IUD absolutely impact our digestive system and if we're not digesting things well we're not absorbing things that we're not absorbing the nutrients that we're consuming well and so definitely has a huge role in our overall health um and I would say like it kind of depends for like the duration that a female should spend um when it comes to kind of like coming back from being on these medications um is I think some questions to ask is why did you want it in the first place? And that kind of comes back to the 10 year old that went on birth control. Is it because she's having such bad periods? She's passing out. Well, her being on birth control is going to be a lot different than a 20 year old that has no symptoms, but is just going on it for a contraceptive. Um, if you're going on it for symptom reduction, there's definitely some root causes behind what was causing those symptoms in the first place. And so we're kind of putting a pause on how that, um, problem is manifesting. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't need to address it. Um, I guess the problem will still persist once you do get off of birth control. And at some point, every single woman will get off birth control. Um, so I guess long answer is yes, you can come back from it, but it kind of depends on why you went on it in the first place, how long you've been on it, what type you've been on. And, and then it does take some dedicated and I'd say like an investment of time, money, and energy to kind of come back from being on these medications. So I do want to talk about like our cycles um, and yes, explaining yeah. the cycle phases because I mean, this is like, this has been more new for me. Like I would say even in the last year, like figuring out like our cycle has four phases and yes. we were <laughs> never told this. We were just like, oh, you get a period and you ovulate and that's it. <laughs> yep. So yeah, explain explain the different phases. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. I remember I think my mom was dealing with some hormonal balances when she was like in her late thirties or forties. And I remember she had like a cycle tracking uh, piece of paper on our fridge. And I remember reading follicular and luteal. And I was like, what language is this? <laughs> like, I have no idea. So, yeah, similar. Honestly, it's newish for me as well. I didn't really um, begin to learn it until I was forced to when I got off the copper IUD. And so, yeah, so you, you definitely nailed it. So we have four different phases of our cycle. Um, we really have two different phases, but there's kind of 
phases within each of those. And I'll, I'll break that down in just a second. But um, basically, day one of our cycle is day one of bleed. And I think that was what always kind of confused me. It's like, is it the day I finish bleeding or what is it? So the standard is day one of bleed is the day one of our new menstrual cycle. So the, the bleeding period, that's our menstrual phase. So that one is one of the easiest to track, to understand, to know that we're in it because we literally have a huge red flag that we are in it. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's day one. And that typically, we typically want to see your, your menstrual phase to be between four to seven days. Blood should be, you know, bright red in color, minimal clotting. You should have minimal pain. Um, kind of all these symptoms that have come about when it comes to your menstrual cycle that have been kind of normalized because they're so common. I, a, a mission of mine is for women to know that they are not normal. It is not a normal part of just being a woman to have a menstrual cycle that absolutely ruins your life or even disrupts your life at all. So that's the first phase. It's the menstrual phase. Um, and that's going to be day one of your cycle to like day one to four, day one to seven, kind of depending on the female. Then after that, we have our follicular phase. So technically the whole first half of our cycle, so menstrual and follicular is all part of the follicular phase. Um, but the time following the follicular, or sorry, the time following the menstrual phase is what we like to teach as the follicular phase. And so this is the time that you're kind of coming out of that menstrual cycle or the menstrual phase, the period, uh, and your body is preparing to ovulate. And so it's kind of that like blossoming time. You'll likely experience more energy during that time because you're coming out of, you know, that self-care, needing nourishment, wanting to watch movies and curl up on the couch, menstrual phase, and, and kind of coming out into the world, blossoming, um, during that follicular phase. And the reason being is during that time, you're going to have estrogen begin to rise and estrogen is a very much so like an excitatory hormone. And so your energy will lift as well. So that's the follicular phase. And then right after that is our ovulatory phase. It's a pretty short phase. It kind of, I would say the experience of the ovulatory phase overlaps with the follicular and then the luteal phase which is after it um but this time is when women like to strut their stuff they feel glowing they feel awesome they feel high energy some women myself included can be a little bit more tired actually during this time though or need more sleep just because it does take a lot of effort to prepare the egg release the egg and everything like that so that's when we ovulate typically um when the female ovulates is going to be very dependent on her. <clears throat> and so that could be anywhere from like day eight of the menstrual cycle up to like day 21. If you're much out of that range, that's definitely a sign of a hormonal imbalance. So if you're ovulating on like day 25, day 27, day 28, like that's definitely a sign like, hey, we need to support your hormones. Or if you're ovulating super early, like you stop bleeding and then ovulate two days later, like that's definitely a sign that there could be some hormonal imbalances present and you, you have some work to do to address those. Um, so that's the ovulatory. Um, we can talk about like signs of that if you want, um, but I'll talk about the next phase next. So post-ovulatory is our luteal phase. And then this is the phase that I feel like most women kind of um, correlate with PMS, unfortunately. And that's just because we have not been taught how to 
properly cycle sync and properly care for our body and, and nourish our bodies. So this phase can be a lot harder because when we're not doing those things, our body has a harder time producing progesterone. And progesterone is an amazing, warming, calming, um, really grounding hormone, but it also needs a lot of nourishment, self-care, carbohydrates, you know, not overdoing cardio workouts and stuff like that in order to properly be produced. And so this luteal phase is definitely much more of a progesterone dominant phase. Um, and this basically will last, we want to see it anywhere from like 10 to 14 days. If you're under 10 days, that likely means that you're not producing enough progesterone and that can absolutely lead to some fertility complications. We need enough progesterone in order to carry the babe for about 10 to 11 weeks or so until our other organs take over to keep that that pregnancy viable but during the luteal phase you'll notice that you feel a lot more like nesting and cleaning and getting stuff done and it's kind of your body being in this phase of am I pregnant like did we get pregnant when we ovulated or am I not pregnant and so it's it's that time where you're you know you might all of a sudden feel like cleaning your whole house <laughs> and it's because <laughs> your body's like oh I might be pregnant in two weeks and then we're going to be focusing on baby and so it's a, it's a great time to kind of like capitalize on getting stuff done and getting your to-do list done. Um, but that's kind of why that phase is, is, can feel a little bit more like that. Cause your body's like, Hey, are we pregnant? Or are we not? What's going on? Um, and then if you're not pregnant, then you'll start your, um, you'll start your period within at least 17 days post ovulation. Like it typically does not ever go beyond that. So you kind of talked a little bit about how to support like kind of in different phases, but maybe like expound on like some of the top things that we can be doing. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one way I think to remember this, the phases is to really tie them to the seasons in nature. So our menstrual phase is going to be most similar to wintertime. We need warm foods, nourishment, likely like to cuddle up on the couch, probably not going to go outside for a run, you know, so not doing a lot of cardio. Um, that time is going to be a great time for self-care, nourishment, replenishing your body. Um, great time to add into like nettle tea, soups, stews, roasts, stuff that's going to help replenish everything that your body is going through in order to bleed and shed the lining. So that's a little bit about that one. I think a lot of women either get upset that they don't have a lot of energy during this time or um, they're really moody during this time. And I don't think we always honor our bodies, which then can definitely lead to, you know, either lack of production or hormones or overproduction of certain hormones, which then causes imbalances. So I think just really kind of honoring where you're at um, can be really helpful. During your follicular phase, like I had mentioned before, the, your energy levels are definitely going to come up quite a bit. And this one is going to be a lot more like springtime. And so we're coming out of winter, entering spring. Flowers are, you know, getting energy. They're getting nutrients. They're starting to blossom. They want to attract bees <laughs> and, and birds, right? <laughs> and so this is a great time to really, you know, start to blossom with your energy maybe set some goals for this next cycle, um, eat lots of fresh fruits and, and veggies, stuff like that. It's a great time to really also focus on good fats. Estrogen really likes fat. Um, always prioritizing protein as well. And then maybe increasing your um, exercise intensity if it feels good to you. No pressure with that, but like if it feels really good, like it might be a great time to go on a hike where you kind of push yourself or maybe try a new spin class or something like that. Then our ovulatory phase is going to be most similar to summer. I like to compare this one to like summer love. 
Um, and this is the time that you can get pregnant. And so this is the time that your body is naturally going to, it actually changes your facial structure around 10% to make it even more attractive, which the goal of your body's physiology is to attract a mate because your body's goal the physiology um, is to get pregnant. And so you can capitalize on that. You know, that's a great time to socialize and to spend a lot of energy and, you know, be really robust with your energy, conquer, conquer some of those goals, have really hard conversations because your communication skills will be on point. Um, and then, but if you're kind of like me and you are a little bit, you need more rest during that time, I think honing in on that and, and honoring your body's needs during that can be really helpful as well. And then during your luteal phase, you're kind of coming out of summertime where, you know, we're doing this right now and in, in real time, um, you know, you're, you're going to start prepping for winter. And so you might slow down a little bit more. You might feel like you need to get a little more sleep or some naps. Um, you might start switching more to nourishing foods to kind of prepare for the menstrual phase that's going to be coming up again. Um, slowing down your workouts. I really like strength training, honestly, throughout your whole cycle. But I think this one, this time can be really great for strength training. I think um, really pairing like proteins and carbs together can be amazing during this time. It helps a ton with progesterone production. Um, but I think this is a time to really kind of tune into yourself and if you're not feeling like doing something there's a reason and there's no reason to feel guilty about that and just kind of you know ask your body what do I need today if it's not that hit class and it's to go do a yoga class or um if it's not to go out and socialize like feel free to to postpone that plan for a couple weeks or something like that so those are some kind of like quick tips to start cycle syncing a little bit more which will absolutely support your hormones support your menstrual cycle um and then overall support your fertility as well that is great absolutely agree with all of that um (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's say you know the we ovulate we get pregnant what is some things that we could be doing to support our bodies in pregnancy yeah absolutely i would say really really focusing on nourishing foods um and so you know things like organ meats um mollusks like oysters clams mussels cooked if you're pregnant um can also be really really helpful to replenish certain nutrients that are very important for pregnancy um beef liver and organs are awesome during that time as well and i think tuning into your body as well like if you are pregnant and you know you're pregnant that's also one thing um (laughs) is to, you know, slow some things down and and prioritize, like, this is a wonderful time to really start to prioritize yourself and your body and nourishing you so then you can also nourish baby. Um, And so I think those are definitely some key things to start paying attention to. Um, I think just really embracing the time can be really, really powerful as well. So you had mentioned, like, beef liver and organs. Do you think that we should be taking prenatals? like vitamins as yeah good question (laughs) because i know there's been a lot on this yes um no (laughs) no i don't necessarily think so i i do think like i think i should really say it depends like if someone's on a hundred percent vegan diet and they have no because you you notice the the food they recommended were animal-based yeah so if you have no desire to add in animal-based foods i think one do some do some research on it and, and start to kind of like understand why it's important, how it's so impactful for our hormones, for our cardiovascular system, stuff like that. But I'd say like in that situation, 
finding a really, really high quality prenatal could potentially be something to look into. But in other situations, I'd say no. And, and my reasons being are there's there's many reasons. But um, a couple is they're not regulated, which isn't necessarily an issue. I don't really want regulations across the board. But something that I think women need to know is their prenatal is not regulated, which means it is up to the company to decide what women need in that prenatal. And companies don't always have their consumers health and longevity in their best interest right so that is one thing um and i think that's something really important for women to know and then two they're not personalized to you and so you might be way overdoing a certain nutrient which can cause problems for you you might not be getting enough of a nutrient which can cause problems you might be causing nutrient imbalances like you might have the best intentions with taking it but it could actually be causing problems in the long run. I think something that a lot of people don't know, I know I didn't know this, is minerals interact. And so one mineral impacts at least two others, which then impacts two others and two others, and it gets really messy really fast. And so we might have great intentions with replenishing minerals via supplements, but we could accidentally be depleting or causing an imbalance with other minerals at the same time. So those are two kind of just like general reasons that I'm not huge fans of it. Another one is that a lot of them are synthetic forms of vitamins and minerals, which there are some high quality synthetic forms of vitamins and minerals. And depending on the person and their nutrient status, that can be really powerful for them for healing and supporting their body. But as a whole, I recommend, you know, go with mama nature. She is smart. She has created her foods to have all of the vitamins that you need, they each have their own buddies that they need in order to be properly utilized in the body. We're not going to cause imbalances because of that. Um, and so a lot of the man-made synthetic forms can cause imbalances because our body doesn't necessarily know what to do with them. Um, so those are kind of my main reasons. I think instead of a prenatal, what I typically recommend is go food first, um, go really nutrient dense, start with organ meats, you know, start with fruits, roots, um, oysters, clams, mussels can be really amazing as well. Bee pollen can be awesome. Um, and then if you can work with someone like myself or someone that runs functional lab testing, so we can see exactly what nutrients you are depleted in. So we can replenish those rather than just getting a, a standard prenatal. And then another reason that the prenatals can be challenging as well is they can kind of give a false sense of security. Like, oh, I'm taking a prenatal. I'm good. Um, where, you know, our ancestors used to prepare for pregnancy and recover from postpartum and stuff. For, like, it was so much more intentional and so much more long lasting. Where now we're like, oh, yeah, I've been taking a prenatal. Okay, why am I not getting pregnant? <laughs> and it's just, you know, there's so much more that goes into it. And our bodies deserve, in my opinion, so, so much more support um, for the very, like, miraculous but very taxing process of literally creating a human and then feeding that human from your body. So do you think it's safe for women to also be working out? Like during pregnancy. During pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd say it depends um, where they started for sure. So, like, if you haven't been doing anything and then you just throw in a five times a week program, like, that will probably be a lot for your body. That's going to be a lot for anyone, regardless yeah. of pregnancy. Um, so, I think it depends where you started from, but absolutely. I mean, there's tons of studies that have shown, like, 
how it can help the placenta, how it can help delivery and stuff like that. I tend to recommend more strength training forms. And so like lifting weights or Pilates or something along those lines to really help you build muscle, which we all know, like carrying a 30 pound child around is hard work (laughs) and and, like carrying like a diaper bag and car seat and stuff like that. So like it helps prevent injury postpartum. It helps with your labor. It helps a ton, but I do think doing it smart, like be wise about it. Um, and then also, once again, kind of tuning into your body and what you've, what you've been doing and, and make sure you're not just like going zero to a hundred on top of being pregnant as well. I absolutely agree and have loved talking to you about all of these things. Um, my last question that I love to ask everybody is what is your unpopular opinion or hot take? It can be literally about anything. It doesn't have to be about what we were talking about. Oh, that's a good one. So let me think. <laughs> What's an unpopular opinion that I have? Um, hmm. I, we kind of talked about it, but I think that an unpopular opinion that I have is I think birth control mm-hmm. is it's it's a really interesting way to approach female health and it really really disconnects women from our body and something that I think is really interesting about the female body and kind of our approach to fertility and menstruation and stuff like that is if we simply changed our approach to teaching young women about our menstrual cycle and taught them how powerful it is versus how much of a burden it is and taught them how to support it and we you know, in our own homes could adapt things to support female hormones and that female menstrual cycle, we wouldn't need birth control. We wouldn't need mastectomies. We may not even need fertility treatments because women's hormones would be so much more balanced. And it's just a really interesting kind of perspective to take is if we did that, and it's pretty simple, it's very natural. It could be a great bonding experience for families within their home to teach our children about their bodies from a very like natural holistic foundational perspective how much we would avoid throughout our entire lifetime if we just took that simple step and so I don't know if that's necessarily an unpopular opinion but it's definitely something I think I've realized over this past year is like man we really have missed the mark and maybe the unpopular opinion is what who's behind why we're missing that mark and is there an ulterior motive behind that Oh, absolutely. I agree with that one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell people where they can find you and follow you and all the things. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website is wildmusewellness.com. You can find information about myself, my practice, how to work with me, stuff like that on there. I'm very active on Instagram. My handle is wildmusewellness. Um, Feel free to message me if you have any questions about any of the information that we covered today. I have tons of posts about all of this information. Um, so you can absolutely dive in and learn a lot more when it comes to that. Um, and I am very chatty, as you can tell as well. So I'm an open book when it comes to talking about things and have tons of resources. Um, and then I do have some free resources on my website as well, like teaching about the menstrual cycle. Um, I have a birth control class to teach you how to come off of birth control in a very like supportive way so you can help reduce some of the post-birth control symptoms. Um, that will be coming available here soon. Um, and then I'm also going to be releasing a five 
uh, um, an ebook that's five nutrient dense foods to start adding into your routine for fertility for both men and women. Cause I think a lot of pressure gets put on women, but you know, the male partner, you know, you're 50% of the recipe to make a baby. So, yep. um, definitely very important to also focus on male fertility as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. You have a good day. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. I have so much fun making these for you guys and interviewing different women. And so what you can do to help me out is leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share this with all your friends and family as well. New episodes come out every Thursday, 8 a.m. Central Time. This is Elise Weathers, and this is Womanhood in the Rock.